We're going to spend some time now studying the scriptures together, something we do every week here. We devote time to open up the Bible and look at it together. And so I want to invite you to look at Romans chapter 11 if you have a Bible. And if you don't have one, we've got some under the chairs. You can grab one of those and open it up to Romans chapter 11 or page 948 uh, in those black Bibles. And I would also mention if, if you don't own a Bible, we'd, we'd love for you to keep one of those Bibles. We'd, we'd love for you to have one that you can read on your own at home. So Romans chapter 11, we're calling it this week, Trust the Gardener. There's going to be an extended metaphor that Paul's going to use throughout this section uh, about a gardener who is caring for a fruit-bearing tree and wants to see that tree bear fruit. Uh, In our family, neither my wife nor I are really fantastic gardeners, but really my wife is better than I am. I'm just kind of, you know, I just kind of do what she tells me and go out there and dig around and stuff. Sometimes uh, I'll come home to our garden and I'll see something that's been trimmed back really close, right? Um, And then later on, what will happen is that that plant, maybe like roses have been trimmed back really close to the ground, have grown again and blossomed and there's great life there. Other times I might come home and I'll find something completely ripped out of the ground and dead, right? Have you ever seen that? And, and it's hard sometimes to tell the difference between something that you're absolutely destroying and something you're pruning. And so if you're just watching from the outside, especially if you're like me and you're not really much of a gardener, it's hard to tell the difference. Um, but Paul's going to argue here that God hasn't completely given up on his tree, Israel. He's just pruned it down really close to the root, And so that's the the metaphor that he's going to use here. He's going to talk about Israel and the word we'll hear again and again that we've seen in Romans and a lot of the New Testament is the Gentiles, which just means all the other nations. It means the other tribes, the other ethnic groups, for the most part, you and I who are from different ethnicities other than Israel. God has great blessings for us as well as the work he's doing with Israel. So chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 11, 11, 11. So I ask, did they stumble, talking about Israel, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree... How much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? 
So it's going to take a while for all that to sink in, right? And we're going to talk about it some more. But I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to help us and help us understand what he's saying here in the, in the technical, technical sense, but also pray that our hearts would be uh, open to him, to, to trust him, uh, to trust that he's good and he knows what he's doing. So let me pray for us. God, we pray for your help. We pray for your spirit to meet us here, to open our minds and our hearts to you and what you're doing in the world. Lord, often uh, when we see the world, we, we see a lot of the negative things. We see a lot of devastation. We struggle to trust. And so we pray that you would help us to see that you're good, that we can trust you, that you are up to good things in this world. We pray that you'd help us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we uh, move through the text here, again, a couple of the couple of the kind of phrasing that I think might throw us as modern people before I just kind of start working through it verse by verse. One is the Gentiles, right? I already said that. Gentiles just means all the other tribes that are not Israel. It means all, all of us, right? All the other ethnicities, the nations, the tribes. Another phrase that he talks about is grafting. And again, I'm not really a master gardener, but apparently you can, you can cut a branch off of a tree and you can splice it or graft it into another tree, you know, like tape it on, strap it on, uh, press it in, and it'll begin to grow out of another tree so that it begins getting its nourishment from a different set of roots than it originally had. So that's just a common thing that people that know about this can do, and that's what Paul is discussing here. I'm sure there are details I might be getting wrong, but that's the gist of it, right? Um, and then there's this other issue that I think is really helpful for us to understand. As we understand our salvation, we tend to, because we're Americans, think in absolutely individualistic terms. Um, one of the strengths of our country is an emphasis on individual responsibility. So that's a good thing. But we can take that to an extreme where then it's confusing for us when he talks about tribes and nations and groups. Uh, so when he's talking about uh, the group of Israel individuals, we stand or fall by faith in Christ, right? Our connection to God is through our faith. Um, but he's talking in general also about he's not done with the whole group, right? He might judge individuals, but he's not completely throwing away the whole group, the whole tribe. And so I think that's just helpful to kind of balance it out in our minds. Sometimes he's talking about groups. Sometimes he's talking about individuals. So the first thing that I think we want to look at in the text is that the gardener loves the world. If we're going to trust the gardener, if we're going to believe that God is up to good things as the gardener of this tree that is us and the new life he's trying to create in the world, we want to see that he's a generous, uh, rich, overflowing sort of gardener. He wants fruitfulness in the world. I grabbed a picture here of a fruit-bearing tree. My wife and I were in Phoenix last week for a pastor's conference uh, and we stopped, and there were just orange trees in front of the state capitol. I was like, this is so cool, right? Because um, Phoenix is incredibly hot. I didn't think anything could grow there, but there are some things that grow, mostly cactus. But we saw some orange trees, and so I went, and I was like, I'm going to pick an orange for my wife, right? She needs a snack. And I, uh, I had to jump like 10 times. Finally, I reached an orange, brought it back, and it was the worst-tasting orange that we'd ever had in our life. It was disgusting. Um, but anyway, that's just has nothing to do with... The text today, the main, point, the main point is the idea of fruitfulness, right? He's talking about olives here specifically. I picked oranges on the picture because oranges are pretty. Um, but olives were a common crop. Uh, another analogy that's used in Isaiah chapter 5, and Jesus talks about this in John chapter 15, is a vine. Uh, so he talks about a grapevine. And so these analogies are used where God is talking about the new people that he's creating in this broken world are like a fruit tree, right? Most of us as modern people, that's kind of a disconnect because we don't grow our own food. Um, but if you grow your own food, you would really see how beautiful this is. He's saying, 
I'm creating a new people of God, and it's like a rich grocery store of, of delights, right? And that's what he's saying. He's creating this new life in us as the people of God, as he discusses this olive tree. And he is a rich and generous gardener. And so we want to have that same attitude that he has when we look at the world. Look at verse 12. He describes it this way in verse 12. He says, if their trespass, talking about Israel, means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So their trespass, he's talking about Israel not believing in Jesus. So he's saying, what's going to happen when we look back at verse 11 is their stumbling and them not believing in Jesus kind of opened the door for all these other nations and tribes and ethnic groups like you and me, all of us from all these other nations to come in and see Jesus. He's saying there's this interesting story that God is telling where the people he started with are rejecting the Savior that he sent. Yet what that led to, this trespass, this tripping up of Israel led to other nations believing. And so he's saying it's actually leading to more fruit. It's leading to more fruitfulness. It's leading to what he says is riches for the world. Look at that in verse 12. Their trespass, their failure to believe means riches for the world. And if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, all the nations, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, we'll talk about that next week, this idea that more uh, Israelites will then come to faith later. He's saying that's coming, and that's going to then lead to even more, the snowball effect, then even more other Gentiles or other tribes, other ethnicities coming to faith. So he's saying... What God is doing as a master gardener, we should trust him. It looks like he's chopping everything down, but really he's pruning. And as he prunes, the tree is going to be more and more fruitful. That means more life and health and delight and joy for all of us. So we want to trust this gardener and trust his generosity, his love for the world. He goes on in verse 13 and gets more specific. And he says, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, right? Us uh, us multi-ethnic tribes, us other peoples that are not Israelites, Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. So God, if you go back and read Paul's story in the book of Acts, God had called Paul specifically as this Jew to go reach the non-Jews. So Paul says, it's not that I hate Jews, it's just God told me to go preach to the non-Jews, right? And then now he's saying, really there's this psychology taking place here, when when I make much, when I magnify my ministry to go tell non-Jews about Jesus, what does that do? It stirs up this kind of appropriate jealousy among the Jews who say, hey, wait, that's our God, right? That's our God. And it stirs up this interest among Jews. And so again, it leads to more fruitfulness. And again, I know that's hard for us to understand because that's out out of context for us. We're not Jews, right? We're the Gentiles that Paul was sent to. But Paul's saying that God started with the Jews. Jews didn't believe. God sent Paul to go tell the Gentiles about the gospel. And as Paul does that and makes much of this ministry, this mission to the world, then that causes a jealousy among the Jews who then more of them will believe and be excited about the Messiah that God sent for them. Look at verse 15. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. If the root is holy, so are the branches. He's, he's mixing metaphors now, as, as Paul often does, but he's saying, hey, God, 
still has great things for this little tribe, the Israelites, that he started with. Remember, we've gone back to Deuteronomy 7 many times where God says, I'm choosing you, little tribe, not because you're awesome, but because you're weak and you're puny. And so God is continuing to show grace to his people Israel. Why does this even matter? Well, this matters because if God spent two-thirds of the Bible talking about promises to Israel, and we as the non-Israelites think, oh, we can trust him, he's a promise-keeping God, yet he's just thrown away his original people, that would make it hard for us to really trust him, right? So Paul's saying, no, there's, there's still a story being played out here. You can still trust him. He's not done with Israel yet. There's still promises being fulfilled. God is still saving them. And even their rejection of the Messiah is leading to more people finding the Messiah. So he's saying, trust the gardener. It looks like the gardener's chopping everything down. Trust him. He has this rich plan for the world, riches for the world, riches for the Gentiles. This is a plan of of generosity. So my big application question for us is, do you see God as generous, who has riches for the world, this fruitfulness for the world, or do you see him as someone who's holding out on you? We've studied these difficult doctrines of election and choosing and predestination. We've seen several things about that in, in Romans 8 and 9 and 10. And what I want you to understand is if you, if you buy into these doctrines of God being a choosing God or an electing God or predestining God, yet you don't see God as an incredibly generous, overflowing riches for the world God, you're understanding those doctrines wrongly. Another way to say it is if you believe in God as this God who has choosing grace, and yet you don't live out a generosity towards the people around you, again, you're doing it wrong. If you believe God is gracious, then we should be gracious. So my question for you is, are you generous to the world? Are you generous to those around you? Are you the kind of person that demonstrates the image of God, riches for the world, riches for the tribes, riches for other people that are not like you? Does that mark your life? Is that what you're like? Are are you generous with your time? Are you generous with your money? Are you generous with the skills that God has given you to spend those for the fruitfulness of others? Are you generous with different kinds of people? So much of what Paul is talking about here is this kind of tribal tensions, right? Between this kind of people and that kind of people. Are you the kind of person that's marked by, I love everybody. I'm generous. I have a love for the world. I have this openness. Are, Are you marked by that? Because that's what Paul's saying God is like. He's up to something mysterious, which is riches for the whole world. Do you look like that as well? The next thing we're going to see is that the gardener does the work. And so what this does is this this really attacks our pride. Uh, We're not a plant that prunes and grows ourselves. We're just the plant. And God is the gardener. He's the one that grows us. He's the one that tends to us. He's the one that does the work. The gardener does the work. So let's look at verse 17 here. It says in verse 17, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, don't be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true, they're broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, so don't become proud, 
but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. So he's giving us a message here saying, um, you were grafted in by the gardener. You didn't graft yourself in. It wasn't your tree in the first place. Don't be arrogant. Don't be proud. Remember that God does the work. Again, he's using this grafting language. I grabbed a picture here of someone grafting. When, when we've done some work in Guatemala, I've gotten to tour a coffee plantation down there. Uh, and they'll take uh, the stronger root and the better fruit variety of coffee and they'll combine them, right? They'll take the, the really nice fruit coffee that has weaker root system and they'll graft that into another kind of coffee that has a stronger root system. And it's really tiny like that, really tiny itty bitty little seedlings. And at the one coffee plantation we've gone to, they only allow women to do the grafting. I thought that was really interesting. Um, they said that the reason was that men's hands are more acidic. And so ever since I went to that tour, I've decided, I guess that means I don't need to wash my hands anymore, right? Men have acidic hands. That just makes us naturally cleaner, right, ladies? No, I'm just kidding. My wife's like, no, it's not true, baby. I do wash my hands every other day sometimes. <laughs> but but that's, that's neither here nor there. But the point is, you, you take one part, you want this part, and you slice it, and you connect it. They tape it together often, bandage it together in a sense, and it starts to draw its nourishment from another set of roots. It's not original to it. Part of the point that Paul's been going through in, in all of the book of Romans is really none of us can say, look at me, look at my roots, look at what I've done. Even the Jews, he says, stand by faith. If they're connected at all, they're connected because of what God has done, right? Because God is the one doing the work. And so this attacks our pride. And as we've worked through Romans, we've talked about um, the two different ways of conceiving our salvation. One way of conceiving our salvation as a purely social tribal thing of just being connected and a part of the right group. That's very much how first century people thought. That's hard for us to think that way because we're Americans and Americans are very individualistic, right? So as Americans, we're very individualistic and we tend to think of salvation in terms of just, I have messed up, I need Jesus to forgive me, uh, to save me, he took my sins on the cross. And this is all true, right? But we tend to think of it only in terms of, I individually need to be saved and we don't tend to think of it as much in social dimensions, right? Because we're, we're solitary type thinkers, we're individualistic thinkers. Well, what I want you to see here is your individualistic standing by faith in humility uh, breaks your pride as an individual. And what does that do with our social standing? Well, that enables us to get along with other people. And I want to press this because this is where Paul's going with the rest of Romans. When he starts talking about the applications of what does this gospel look like in our real life? Well, it looks like us getting along with crazy people that we don't always agree with, right? And, and that's what we are, okay? We're, we're this group of people who do things differently. We don't always understand each other. And yet God's grace to us humbles us. It breaks our pride because we say, you know what? I'm not a part of this group because of what I've done. I'm a part of this group because of what God has done. We've all been adopted into the family of God. None of us have earned our way in. None of us have just been born into it. But we're in the family of God because God has grafted us into the family of God. So we, we stand by faith, and that breaks our pride. And our pride being broken has a social dim dimension to it, where it enables us to get along with other people. It enables us to get along with other Christians 
who just don't do things the way we do, right? A lot of secondary issues where we just have different preferences of style and culture and language and dress, right? Things that are secondary issues. It also enables us to give, get along with our pagan friends and neighbors who are not making the same moral choices that we are. We might have an absolutely different moral standard, but we know, but by the grace of God go I, right? I'm a sinner just like they are. I've been, been forgiven. I'll pray with them. I'll be patient with them. I'll love them because I'm not really any better than they are. I've just been grafted in by faith. I have forgiveness through Jesus, but, but we're all sinners that need the salvation that Jesus offers so that our identity can be in being part of the people of God, being forgiven, being an adopted child of God, and that helps us to love other people that are not like us. It has this social dimension to it. So the last thing I want us to see then is that this is all worked out through faith. And this is really two sides of the same coin. When we talk about this being the work that God does, that's been emphasized in chapter 9 and 10, uh, what that looks like on our side, right? On our side, that looks like faith, the open hands of faith. I grabbed a picture here of a, a gardener holding a little seedling. We want to remember uh, that God is in charge and we're relying on what he has done for us. So when we attribute earlier, the point was God does the work and we attribute everything to God, what that attributing things to God is called, that's called faith, right? Uh, a word that used here is uh, belief or unbelief. The other word is faith. And then there's another word that I use often, and that's trust. All those words mean the same thing. It means you're relying on God and what he has done. You're not relying on yourself. So let's uh, start again, verse 19. He says, you will say, branches were broken off so I might be grafted in. In verse 20, he says, that is true. They were broken off. Why? Because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So again, uh, does God judge? Yes, God judges. So, so God judges us for our sin. And if we don't have belief, uh, you could say in a sense we're being judged for our unbelief. Because if we have belief in what Jesus has done for us, then we won't be judged for our sin, but we'll be accepted by faith. And so the gospel truth is that because of Jesus, we can trust that God has taken away our sin, that he's given us the resurrection life of Jesus, that all our sins were nailed on the cross with Christ, and that the resurrection life of Jesus is given to us, and that changes how we see the world, how we see each other. That's what faith is. So we stand, we have life, we're connected to the people of God, we're in this tree that God is building by faith, by trusting in God. And we're not in that tree because of unbelief, because of not trusting God, because another way of saying it would be saying, I trust in myself. God, I want to do life on my own. God, I want to save myself. God, I want to be my own God. I don't want to rely on you. And that would be summarized as, as unbelief. Look at verse 21. He continues, and he says in verse 21, For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. So the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us, is always bad news and good news, right? Severity towards those who have fallen. There's a sternness, a severity of a God who cuts off those who don't trust in him. But there's this generosity of, but he, he offers grace. 
He's grafting people in by faith into this new fruitful tree, this olive tree, this vine of new life. And so faith then can be translated as continuing in God's kindness. Look at that. Continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Are you continuing in his kindness? Are you continuing to trust in his grace through Christ? That's what faith is. And verse 23, even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So, as I said, there's a tribal way of thinking about us as, as groups, communal thinking. First century people were very much there. We as modern people think very individualistically. And so here Paul is saying, hey, I know you're always thinking in terms of tribes, but God's not done with that tribe yet. And basically, you stand and fall in this tribe as the people of God by faith as individuals. So Paul is pressing on their tribalism a little bit, right? They're thinking, oh, God's done with Israel. Now God loves Greeks or now God loves Romans. He doesn't like those people anymore. And we still do that today, don't we? Like we we come to Christ recognizing I'm a sinner that needs forgiveness, We walk into the family of God by faith. God has forgiven me of my sins. I'm an adopted child of God. And then like a couple of years later, we look back and we're like, look at all that I've done. Look at how great I am. God has to bless me because I read my Bible today, right? Or God has to bless me because I helped a little old lady across the street. And we begin to think that God is in our debt, that God owes us something or that there's something we've accomplished because we are now the tribe who is conquering and victorious. And Paul's saying, no, no. None of the tribes are especially loved by God because of what tribe they are, right? Deuteronomy 7, I I didn't choose you because you were an awesome tribe. I chose you because you were so puny. I wanted to show the world that I'm a gracious God. And that is still true today. So we're not saved because of how great our tribe is or our people group or how much we've accomplished. We're saved by what Jesus has done. We rise or fall by faith, by trust in what he's done. And so that's called continuing in his kindness. I'm I'm praying for you, and I would ask for you to pray for me as well, that we would not be arrogant, but we would trust in the gardener. We would continue in his kindness. We would still understand what it means to be a people of faith. God works through faith. We're a part of the people of God because of trusting in in what he's done. And that, that needs to continue to mark us. And as that marks us, then we'll give more glory to God instead of taking the glory for ourselves. Instead of saying, look at how great I am, faith will enable us to point people to God. Say, no, look at how generous God is. Look at how kind God is. And so I would ask you this week to pray that the Lord would show you specific ways that you could repent of pride and you could trust more in him by faith. What are some of those areas in your life where you're starting to think, it's me? How can you, how can you lay those down and trust more and more in Jesus. And, and as I said, what this will result in is a new community where those of us with all different kinds of backgrounds love each other well because it's a supernatural love, not because we just like the same things. I want to close and uh, wrap up as we think about this concept of trusting the gardener and all that he's doing and creating and the life that he's bringing to this world, this broken world we live in. Uh, I want to close by reading John 15. In John 15, Jesus really brings it home and says, it's not just God 
and this garden that he's working on. But Jesus says that, that he himself, Jesus, is actually the root. And that we bear fruit by being connected to Jesus as the root. So I'll ask you to just close your eyes for a minute, actually, as I just read this to you. Why don't you close your eyes? I'll read this, and then I'll, I'll pray. John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Father, we confess that we struggle to trust you, uh, that we often live completely distracted by our pain, by our struggles, by our own selfish desires. Father, help us to trust that you are doing good things in this world, that you're bringing life, that your plan is riches for the world, riches for all people. And so we pray that you would help us to trust you as you prune, which is often painful, and that we would abide in your son Jesus, who is the true root, the true vine, where we find nourishment, where we find life. Help us to abide in Christ. We thank you for the life, the resurrection power that Christ gives us. We pray that that would characterize our life so that we would demonstrate your fruitfulness as we bear the fruit of love and kindness towards those around us. We pray that you do this for Jesus' sake. Amen.